O God of wisdom, by your spirit, may your word be proclaimed so that we may know good news in our hearts and minds and bear witness to the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ in our words and in our deeds. Now quiet in us any voice but yours so that we may hear your word for us today. Amen. Well, today we will read from Paul's first letter to the uh, church in a, a port city called Thessalonica. Some of you who were here earlier, I showed on the map, and if uh, you want to see later, I'll show you on our map where that city is. It was, in those days, the capital of Macedonia. It was located at the intersection of two major Roman roads, one that led from Italy eastward to, uh, and it was called the Ignatia Way, and then the other was a, a road that went from the Danube River to the, in the north to the Aegean Sea in the south. Um, nowadays, by the way, it's called Thessaloniki. It's known as the second most important city in Greece. The first would be, of course, Athens. And nowadays it has a population of a million people. Now Raleigh has 440,000, or that's up the claim. Wake County has a million people. So that's a lot of folks for one town in, in Greece. When Paul wrote this letter, it seems that the Thessalonian church was, they were losing heart. They were, for one thing, they were being oppressed. There were Gentiles and others who, who didn't like the idea of this church and were putting them down, and also some of their members had died along the way. So they had been very concerned that the people who died already would miss out on the second coming of Jesus. Our passage from the fourth chapter of 1 Thessalonians is a response to that concern. It was Paul's way of encouraging them to keep hope alive. Listen now for God's word to us from 1 Thessalonians 4, starting at the 13th verse. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who have died, so that you may not grieve as those as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have died. For this we declare to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will be by no means precede those who have died. For the Lord himself, with a cry of command, with the archangel's call, and the sound of God's trumpet, will descend from heaven, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the clouds together with them to meet the Lord in the air so that we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Oh Lord, may my words and may our thoughts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Did you hear about the fellows who were out playing a game of golf? 
And one of them, well, one of them, I don't know whether he hooked or sliced, but his ball ended up in that tall grass, the rough, you know. So he went over to look for his ball, and, and just about the time he found it, he started hollering, oh, I've been bit, I've been bit, the snake has bit me. So his buddies rush up to him, and they, they said, oh, oh, you know, what shall we do? And they said, well, none of them said, I don't know any first aid. That was a way long time ago in school I took that. He said, I'll tell you what, the guy that's hurting says, go up to the clubhouse. I'm sure there's a doctor there. So they do. They get in a little cart and they zoom up to the clubhouse and they go into the place that serves adult beverages. <laughs> and they find, sure enough, one of the local doctors is there at the bar. And, and Doc says, well, you know, I'm in no shape to treat anybody. I'd be sued for malpractice and that, that just wouldn't be right for me. But I tell you what you got to do. Go back to your friend, and you have to put your mouth on that place on his leg where he's been, and you've got to suck out all that poison, and, and then you've got to spit all of it out. If you don't do that, if you don't get it out of your friend, he's going to die. And if you don't spit it all out, you're going to die too. So they said, hmm, okay, they get in the golf cart and they go back and they find their friend who's still moaning, oh, 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 over in the rough. He said, what did the doctor say? What did the doctor say? And they said, he said, you're going to die. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, that wasn't, truthfully told, that wasn't everything the doctor said. But the part they told their friend, that was true. Well, we don't know when and we don't know how, but we do know we will. We will die someday. I've seen the studies on it. Mortality rate for human beings is 100% eventually, right? So what will happen next? Well, our reading from the fourth chapter of Thessalonians tells us Paul's vision of the second coming. Now, maybe you heard those voices read from that chapter four and thought, well, that sounds kind of familiar. That may be because what Paul was doing is kind of summarizing something Jesus is quoted as saying in the 24th chapter of Matthew. Then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, then all the tribes of earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So that was Paul's version. Or that's what Jesus had said, and this was Paul's summary. Well, consider this. The Apostle Paul, he lived in a world that was ruled by, was dominated by the Roman Empire. So that context can help us understand some of the metaphors he uses as he imagines the second coming. For example, the Greek word he used in his original letter to describe Christ's second coming was perusia, which means presence. That's the same word the Romans called the arrival of the emperor, Caesar. And you remember that Caesar had uh, declared himself a god. The emperor's arrival was also heralded with a trumpet, and he was greeted by a group of local leaders. So Paul's vision of the second coming was a format his readers 
in Thessalonica, a city in Macedonia, that they would understand. Now, we don't know how metaphorical or how literal Paul's vision of the second coming will turn out to be. You know, it might be, they didn't have French horns back then, Dylan. It might be a French horn that calls us. We don't know. But the sound of a horn. What we do know is who is in charge. And we know to trust in God. Well, let me tell you another story, but not a funny one. One day, I was having lunch in downtown Raleigh with the head of GAPCD, which is the Governor's Advocacy Council for Persons with Disabilities. This lady had a business card about a yard long. <laughs> Spell all that out. From her wheelchair, she said that a mutual acquaintance of ours had told her that the worst of all disabilities you could have was to be blind. Well, she knew that I knew people who lived with a wide variety of disabilities and that I'd worked with North Carolina Services for the Blind for years. And over those years, I'd worked with many people with multiple disabilities. And she knew I'd been legally blind all my life. So she asked me, what do you think? No, I said. As hard as it is, blindness is not the worst of all disabilities. The worst of all disabilities is to live without hope. To live without hope is misery, whether because of depression or oppression or inescapable poverty or incurable illness or unceasing loneliness. To live without hope is misery. Now, Paul told the Thessalonian church and us, that we are not to grieve as those who have no hope. By the way, notice that Paul did not say, Christians should not grieve, you ought to just always have a celebration of life and be happy about it. No. For when we lose someone we love, we grieve, it hurts. We grieve our loss, we grieve that family's loss, we grieve the community's loss but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. And how do those who have no hope grieve, you may ask? Well, how do they see life and death? Well, some have the philosophy of, uh, it's kind of one of those Greco-Roman things, Epicurean philosophy, eat, drink, and be merry, because you know what happens tomorrow. Thousands of years ago, one such person had these words as the epitaph on their tombstone. I was not. I became. I am not. I care not. Well, maybe it sounded better in Latin, you know. Non fui, fui, non sum, non caru. No, it doesn't sound better in any language. <laughs> I'll have to post it on Facebook. There's a, there are pictures of such stones with that kind of happy thought as an epitaph. So my question might be, how do we keep our hope alive? We really can, as the song says, count your blessings. <coughs> Try this. Every time you get discouraged, every time you want to complain, every time you do complain, Every time you, someone hurts your feelings, think of some way that you have been blessed, some person who has been a blessing in your life. 
I'm looking at a lot of them right now, you know. Some experience that has enriched your life, some friendship, some music, some poem, some majestic moment in nature. Some way, somehow, that you have been blessed or, sometimes even better, some way that you have been a blessing to someone else. Because you know it's not really about counting your blessings. It's about naming your blessings and then thanking the one who has blessed you. Well, that's a good strategy, but still, how do we keep our hope alive? Especially in a world where, for no apparent reason, someone shoots hundreds and kills dozens and dozens of people who are just going to a country music concert. Especially when we live in a world where someone angry enough with his in-laws walks into a Texas church that looks a lot like ours and kills 26 people who just went to church to worship God, just like we do every week. Especially when we live in a world where people kill each other over having different religious views or being from a different race or recently at Raleigh for cutting them off on the belt line. You have often heard me quote the Presbyterian preacher named Frederick Beekner. Here's what he wrote about hope. For Christians, hope is ultimately hope in Christ. The hope that Jesus really is what for centuries we the church have been claiming he is. The, the hope that despite the fact that sin and death still rule the world, he somehow conquered them. The hope that in Jesus and through him all of us stand a chance of somehow conquering evil and death too. The hope that at some unforeseeable time in some unimaginable way Christ will return with healing in his wings. Well as Christians we have hope. Our attitude toward the future is that God keeps promises. Exactly what we talked about in discussing covenants in Sunday school today. God keeps promises. What is bad will pass, what is good will be preserved, and our hope is based on the fact that Almighty God is in charge. That God loved us so much, he sent his son to die for us, and that in his death and resurrection, Christ has conquered death and Christ will come again. In other words, our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ. God created us and cares for us, and it's the Holy Spirit who keeps our hope alive until that day when the trumpet or the French horn will sound, the dead shall be raised, and as Paul wrote in Thessalonians, we will be with the Lord forever. Thanks be to God. And now, may the grace of Christ surround you. The love of God uphold you and the Holy Spirit sparking you in unquenchable fires as you wait and work for the kingdom to come. Amen. <laughs>